Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and tonight we are joined once again by the editor-in-chief of Unwinnable.com. He is the co-host and uh, the mind behind the uh, Vintage RPG podcast and the Vintage RPG Uh, Instagram page, we are here to talk about one of his favorite subjects, that is, of course, Chaosium and their history. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Stu Horvath. (laughs) Well, hello there. How you doing tonight, Stu? Pretty good. I'm hanging in there. It's night. Absolutely. (laughs) Cool. So, I honestly, this came about for two reasons. Uh, the first was I had Hambone on again to talk about one of our uh, mutual passions, that being professional wrestling. Ah. And I wanted to bring you on again, and I was thinking, you know, what what would be a good way to bring Stu back on the show? And I toyed around with the idea of doing histories of, of some of these other role-playing games that are not, or other role-playing game companies that are not TSR slash Wizards, and so mm. I thought... Let's kick it off with Chaosium, and Stu will be banging down the door to, to come on the show. And so I asked you, you said yes, and here we are. It's true. It's like 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 if there is one thing that you could ask me to do, and I could do without you know really blinking an eye. It's it's rattle on for several hours at a time about Chaosium. Absolutely, I knew <laughs> I could count on you. So it, it would be a totally different experience if you asked me to come on and talk about wrestling. That I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I I guess uh, to start things off, um, we we really should kind of understand, you know, your your history with the company, and uh, you know, hear a little bit about how you became such a big fan of Chaosium. So uh, let's let's begin there. How how did you you know find yourself a a fan of Chaosium and their games? How did you discover them? And, and what brought you to this level of uh, devotion to their product? So I started off with, you know, kind of like the their number one hit. Uh, I found a copy of Masks of Nyarlathotep, the second edition uh, paperback version, uh, in my local Walden books, just sitting there on the shelf all lonely. And... Uh, this is probably 1990, 1991. So I was probably a little too young for it, um, you know, for a book that has like a lot of human sacrifice and, uh, you know, terrible, horrible things happening to people. But, uh, you know, it, like, there was something about that game that sort of fulfilled 
like the promise of like what I had always kind of like wanted out of Dungeons and Dragons, but never quite got. It was this huge globe spanning conspiracy adventure. Uh, it, you know, that you go to five different locations. There's really weird villains. Uh, the, 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 the story is just you know, has layers to it that, that, that you don't get out of Dungeons and Dragons. So, and, and, and of course, like Mask of Nihilathotep is sort of generally regarded as one of the best campaigns ever written for RPGs. It was written in 84 and it's still holding its own in terms of like people really enjoying it. Uh, so that's how I started off. I, I started off with one of the best things that was ever written for RPGs. Uh, so it was an easy sell to kind of just be like, well, the guys who made this must be really good at what they do. Uh, and I just, I, I went from there. I kind of naturally progressed into Call of Cthulhu. Uh, you know, you can't play Masks of Nihilathotep without the Call of Cthulhu rules. And, uh, you know, and, for a long time that was it you know call of cthulhu i had stormbringer and pendragon uh but nobody really wanted to play those with me so like like the ones the, the game that we played most was call of cthulhu uh and it just it just scratched so many itches it was it was a little bit more easier the 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 headroom to get into the games the, that basic role-playing system it's percentile skill based uh so like like it's set in the real world all these things kind of conspire to make it like an easier game to kind of just get a handle on. Uh, and I just really appreciated that. Like, you don't have to do the, the you know, this is the 90s, so it was D&D second edition, so it was Thacko. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, doing the mental gymnastics to kind of figure out, you know, if I hit armor class zero. It's just like you roll a percentile die. If you get under your skill, you shoot the thing. If you don't, you don't. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think that that sort of accessibility, that lowering of the the you know barrier to entry was really appealing to me. Uh, and I just kind of went from there. And and in in the years since, I've just I've, I I basically now own everything that they've ever published. Uh, that there's like maybe three or four books that I don't have. Uh, and over the course of of acquiring all this material, I've just. It, constantly being reinforced that this was a company that from the very beginning was just extremely quietly, humbly innovative in like a c- incredibly uh, important and influential way. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of their games have like a really important legacy and, and, and they, they bring in, so many different people who've gone on to other things. So like, like (laughs) my group of friends often jokes that, you know, there's really, there's three of us who have brought people together. It's like, like there's people who were introduced to the group through Hambo. There are people who introduced through me and there's people who were introduced through our friend, Sean. So like, yeah, you could sort of chart, you know, how everybody came into the group through these three conduits there's something similar at play with chaosium in that like so many people enter into the role playing industry through chaosium working for them or or and, and it's just it's crazy how many like it's like they're the friendliest like like nurturing company and like they they you do a little work for them and then you go off and 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 you make your your career uh so stuff like vampire the masquerade uh you know, like like that has a d- direct connection. Even the Dungeons and Dragons folks sort of filter in and out 
uh, a little bit too. It, it, it's a it's a really interesting uh, kind of nexus for the uh, the role playing industry, hmm. and uh, and I think that that's sort of just testament to who they are and what they are and what they've become. It, it's just this level of quality that has like a thoughtful des- uh, you know design process behind it uh, that makes all of their games simultaneously fairly simple to get into. Uh, but always surprising once you do. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and I, I say this as someone who has not yet been able to play a Chaosium game. Um, I know I might have to turn in my RPG card for that, <laughs> but you know, I, I got into this hobby through D&D 5th edition. I got into it in college, which was not all that terribly long ago for me. And... Uh, Pretty much every game I've played has been uh, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, with a couple exceptions here or there. So, I've not yet played a game of Call of Cthulhu, or RuneQuest, or uh, Thieves' World, or any of these games. Although, Thieves' World does have a very interesting uh, part to play in my uh, conversion into an RPG fan. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that story in just a little bit, because that right. was my first Chaosium exposure, besides knowing what Call of Cthulhu was and that it existed. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, so much comes from Chaosium and and spins out of that world, and they've been around since damn near the beginning of all of this. If you look at Greg Stafford's story, I mean, he... He comes directly out of the wargaming lineage, just like Gygax. The companies are around for roughly the same amount of time. He's right there. It's He's kind of the silent partner in the creation of what modern RPGs are in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And, and, and had a, a much larger, longer, and more nurturing influence over his career than, than, than a Gygax or, or a lot of other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, we we should note that uh, this is a good time to be talking about Greg and, and Chaosia because uh, last week marked uh, the two year anniversary of his passing, which is you know a bit of a sad for the entire industry, I think, uh, and it it's a bummer, but uh, it, it's also appropriate that we're we're, we're chatting about Chaosia today. Absolutely. So yeah, the uh, the Thieves World story, which it. Again, synergy because you guys just did a Thieves World episode last yeah. week. Yep. And I was super excited to see that. I've got one of the Thieves World books on my bookshelf out in the the family room, but I got into RPGs by watching the YouTube videos of a man who's become somewhat controversial, uh that being the Spoony one or Spoony. I don't know who that is. He he started out reviewing video games on YouTube way back when it was just him and the angry video game nerd doing it. He's mm-hmm. done several things. He was part of Channel Awesome for the longest time. I don't know if any of this means anything to you. Zilch. Um, okay. <laughs> but he also was super into RPGs, and he did a whole series of videos, which is still up on YouTube, called Counter Monkey. Okay. And so I knew who he was from the video game reviews, and I would watch his RPG reviews, I'd watch his videos on wrestling, and he started talking about this Thieves World game that he ran, where the uh, the party that he was GMing for, 
uh, ran afoul of Tempest Thales and ended up having to uh, directly deal with him. And so it was like two two hour video or two one hour videos that he made on this Thieves World setting. And it not only got me excited about Thieves World, but about RPGs in general. I was like, this is what you do when you play <laughs> RPGs. And so I decided I had to try it. And, and and so Thieves World is sort of like an excellent not even just an excellent this is Thieves World is the best example of this sort of way that I'm talking about Chaosium being sort of a nexus for stuff. You know, Thieves World isn't like really it's not a standalone game. It's just a setting book based off the the anthology uh, short story anthology collections, uh, shared, shared fantasy universe. So a bunch of authors contributed different stories in in the shared setting. Uh, they got the rights to create the setting into in in terms of a role playing game, uh, and then just ported it to every system that was available at the time. And then they got the folks who made those systems write up stats. Like you could never get that to happen now like it, it's just like there's just too much business stuff that would get in the way but mm-hmm. like in, in 81 82 whenever that came out like like they they fi- they got everybody like dave arnidson wrote the the dungeons and dragons stats like it's crazy and and the, this also ties into the the there, there is a connection between the thieves world uh, dd's participation in thieves world and the uh the deities and demigods thing uh where they accidentally, air quotes, uh, used uh, Cthulhu and Elric in the Deities and Demigods book for Dungeons and Dragons, despite the fact that Chaosium had the rights to those properties. Um, and it's just like, like, like and when that happened, you know, like Chaosium was just like, oh, that's fine. Just give us a thank you. And then, <laughs> you know. Like, like the, it wasn't, it wasn't really like a big deal on their end in, in, in the business sense. And, and it was TSR. People think like, oh, Chaosium sued because, you know, to get them, you know, because they, they infringed on their rights or whatever. That wasn't the case. All they wanted was a thank you listing Chaosium as like the rights holder. And TSR didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't want a competitor's name in their book. Uh, and that's why Cthulhu and Elric got dropped from future uh, printings of Deities and Demigods. Um, but it's just like it, it, that 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 idea that that Chaosium could bring all of these people who are ostensibly competitors together in this box set that is still celebrated as one of the best city systems, you know, ever created for for D and uh, for uh, RPGs. Uh, certainly the way it, it approaches uh, random encounters on the street is, is was really groundbreaking and informs a lot of OSR kind of approaches to random tables. Hmm. Um, and and to do it with with all of your competitors, <laughs> it's yep. just, it's crazy. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And like that's not even getting into like like how how shrewd a move it was to to take that property, Thieves World, and and make this thing with it. You know, it it, it is a property that that people really have a deep love for, especially if, if they were reading those books as they were coming out. Like that was a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a really important thing for for a lot of people. A little less for me. I I, I kind of just sort of uh found it later uh but it's still it's still a super impressive moment in sort of rpg history Hmm. definitely so yeah uh just real quick before we uh dive right into the the history proper here just want to say uh welcome to skull dixon and rabbit the rabbit hat farm in chat (laughs) rabbit hat farm that yeah 
Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are, are jumping in. And Skull Dixon, thank you for making me feel good about not having played a Chaosium game. Although I think Stu would, would echo my sentiments that if you've been playing since the 90s, at some point you probably should have crossed paths with one of these games before just now. Yeah, you know, that's the weird thing about RPGs, man. Like, like D&D brings so many people into the hobby and then never lets them go. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a lot of things like like filter you down into other stuff and 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 like you, you, your your interests get narrow. But like it, it's all it, it's like the opposite of a funnel. Uh, and, and you, most people just never get past D and D. They play D and D for decades and never realize that there's these d- different, probably more satisfying experiences uh, to be had. So I, I understand why you haven't, but I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your drive to to eventually do it and make the mm-hmm. big leap into not D and D. Absolutely, and. <laughs> And you, you've given me one of the greatest quotes that I've continued to steal and use on my show. Uh, you, you said it on my show. You've probably said it on your show as well. But D&D is blue jeans. Totally, yeah. And everyone knows that person who only wears blue jeans. There, it's part of everyone's wardrobe. And there's this one guy who just, you every time you see him, he's got jeans on. It's that way with gaming, too, and it's that way with my gaming. So you you find something that you're comfortable in and you stick with it, and that's the way a lot of people are. But yeah, the, it's it's definitely good to, to stretch out, especially with something as kind of storied as these Chaosium games. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is self-reinforcing, like, like the, because rule systems are... are are complex and, and, and you get more out of them, the more you put into them and the more you experience them. So like the, and, and the more you experience a rule set and the more, more familiar you become with it, the less, the harder it is to sort of dive into something new. I have such a hard time with story games because I have like all of these sort of calcified, you know, D and D chaosium impulses and chaosium verges on, on, you know, it's very narrative heavy, but like I, I still I have trouble with it just because I'm I've played these other games so much, uh, and it, it like it, it forms a, a, a way of thinking, a circuit almost. Uh, so it 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 is there there are barriers, to, you know, even once you've you know gotten into it, there's still barriers, other barriers that you have to break. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling. Oh, good. <laughs> And we should also pay tribute to Derek Kinsman in chat, who is uh, experienced with Chaosium, much like you are. Yep. Hi, Derek. So, to to begin at the beginning with uh, Chaosium, we, of course, have to talk about Greg Stafford, who began, like we said, in Wargaming. Uh, <clears throat> according to uh, the the legend, his uh, his... Affinity for the hobby came with uh, picking up a copy of U-Boat by Avalon Hill, and uh, from there he also started working on a world that would inform RuneQuest and much of Chaosium's uh, output thereafter, that being the world of uh, Glorantha, which... Probably like a lot of people's RPG worlds was originally intended to be a uh, a series of fantasy books that was then parlayed into 
a uh, RPG setting. Yeah, just like uh, just like Forgotten Realms. Actually. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah, and and I I, I I believe that that he started working on Glorantha in the '60s, which I I think is around the same time that Ed Greenwood started working on on. Uh, the Forgotten Realms, and I, it's it's just interesting to me that these two dudes kind of were on similar trajectories uh, ahead, of, well before the emergence of role playing games as like a, a medium, uh, and and you know they they just kind of made these two really incredibly rich and important worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, they didn't even want to. It do uh, a role playing game initially like Chaosium was founded just to to create a uh, a tabletop work uh, a tabletop wargaming game uh, set in Glorantha called White Bear and Red Moon uh, and it was later uh, that was like 1975 and uh, later on it uh, I think 81 82 it got reissued as Dragon Pass um and like all of the the mythology that that you know for decades once the rpg happens uh so yeah the the white white bear red moon comes out in like 75 76 and runequest comes out of the idea that that some war game players play that and like the setting so much that they're like we got to play we got to make a role playing game out of this uh and they approach greg to do that and then that's how RuneQuest happens um but the interesting thing is that the events of white bear and red moon it, it it's like this this sort of there, there's a uh, several scenarios in the in the war game and it, it tells this the saga of, of a historical saga basically of, of the clash of cultures that's going on in glorantha uh at this one particular moment in time uh Agarath has come back and it, you know the, the the lunar empire has come into Sardar and and Sardar doesn't like that and they're fighting and it's it's the culmination of a lot of uh a lot of cultural clashes uh on a on a sort of an epic scale there's there's crazy stuff that happens a dragon comes wakes up underneath the city and and everybody dies and uh and all of this stuff forms Basically, the events that would happen, like in in the RuneQuest uh, adventure material, you're playing the stuff that's leading up to uh, White Bear and Red Moon, the war game. So, like you're you're taking part in key events that that are are leading into the the climactic events of of the 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 war, and uh, and it and it finally. You know this this goes on for decades basically like you have the early RuneQuest stuff and then uh it moves to Avalon Hill and it's just constantly sort of like like adding more detail to this period of time right before everything explodes and sort of resolves and then you know like like the idea is that after that you you'd write your own you'd write your own saga of the fallout um and only just now, when the seventh edition of RuneQuest came out, did they actually finally push the, the the sort of the narrative needle past this this one point in history. So you have thirty, forty years of just so much time and energy and narrative detail getting dumped into what amounts to like like three years of like the game time of the world, 
and 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 so what you get is just this super rich and exciting like like there's just so much detail like like <laughs> you could you could read so funny thing is is that I had no idea that RuneQuest existed until a couple years ago. Through some quirk of Chaosium's like distribution, I just never saw them on the shelves. Call of Cthulhu, I saw, you know, Pendragon was on the shelves, Stormbringer to a certain extent. I, I would see them in the sh- shelves of the Walden Books and local game shops. Never once did I see a RuneQuest book or box. Uh, and that goes for Chaosium and Avalon Hill stuff. And I've talked to people elsewhere in the country who had the opposite problem. They only ever saw RuneQuest stuff and, hmm. uh, you know, never saw Call of Cthulhu, and, and, you know, which is just like unheard of. To, like, I can't imagine life without Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so once I realized, you know, maybe five, six, now it's probably closer to t- 10 years ago now where I was just like, you could find anything on the internet. I was just like, I'm going to get all of the old Call of Cthulhu box sets, uh, you know, because I love boxes. Boxes are a seductive thing when you like role-playing games. And uh, so I, <laughs> I start buying those up. And then I find out that there's like this RuneQuest game, which kind of like I, I knew the name. Uh, and so I started buying that stuff up. And I immediately fell into like this black hole alternate world where all I cared about was Glorantha and learning more about it. I, 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 I had to track down every single book. Every 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 little tidbit of information, you know, they they issued a couple of years ago. They, they these two gigantic leather bound like guide to Glorantha. It's it's like over a thousand pages. It's like uh, you know twenty four. Uh, no, it's like eleven by seventeen size books. They're crazy, and read them cover to cover. Like I I crammed so much Glorantha into my brain. Uh, and, and that's how rich it is and how interesting it is. Like once you and, and like I can't I can't adequately talk about Glorantha. It's too weird. Like there's like time is like a construct and like the mythic world is exists outside of time and and time exists because of a truce that was made by the gods. But you you can go and hero quest in 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 the god time to get powers. It like it makes sense to me, but I can't explain it to you. You just need to read the books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's just this crazy, very, uh, you know, Greg Stafford was, was into shamanism and, and a lot of that comes through. Uh, and, and it's just, it's so thoughtful and, and like, uh, there was recently the thing about orcs and evil races in D and D, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the cool things about Glorantha is there's no orcs. Uh, and, and most of your, 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 uh, your typical fantasy races aren't aren't there, uh, but what you do have are trolls, and trolls are interesting because they they kind of have already they already solved that problem. So humans, everything has uh, associations with runes and rune quest. Uh, so the, there's the man rune, which you know is like for bipeds, uh, and humans. Uh, are sort of a combination of the man rune and the light rune. And and that kind of defines a lot of the stuff in, in the metaphysics of the game, uh, defines sort of the things that we understand as being humans. We like daylight, we like food, we farm, you know, we hunt. The, like the things that we think of as humanity is sort of defined by this idea of light plus man. Um, trolls are the combination of man plus the dark rune. That doesn't mean that they're evil. 
that just means that they don't like the light and they have a different set of priorities. And a lot of times in, in, in what's going on in Glorantha, humans and trolls are at odds. Uh, in fact, trolls, you know, sometimes eat people, humans. Um, but they, but they're never they're never they're never made a monolith, you know, like like the, like the way that orcs and and the alignment system of evil, you know, lawful evil, chaotic evil, like all those things, like like really pen stuff in in Dungeons and Dragons. In RuneQuest, you're really defined by your actions, and and you're guided by this idea of like like you know universal runes, sort of informing those actions. Mm-hmm. So I just think that it's interesting that you know it forty years later. You know, D and D finally has this conversation about, you know, mono, the monolithic idea, the essentialism of of, of their evil races, uh, and how that's kind of weird. And you, it was already solved essentially in RuneQuest back in like '78. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not 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 very you know fine grained, and it's it's not like uh, not very uh, elaborate or really thought out. But like the framework is there, and and, and the framework was worked on periodically you know for years going forward so like like there's the the troll pack box set like just fills all of this out in in wonderful detail and 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 just kind of and and people just kind of keep going in dipping their toe in and and working on it and giving a little bit more detail and now it's like like everything about trolls is they're they're one of the best and most interesting uh fantasy races that i've i've ever encountered Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Skull Dixon pointed out here in chat earlier is that, uh, you know, Greg Stafford had this great affinity for uh, mythology. Uh, and then he, he goes on to say here in chat, you know, it's it's interesting that, that Greg didn't appear to have any kind of Tolkien influence in his life until much later, despite kind of being parallel with Tolkien in a lot of ways as to how they were both so very influenced by mythology and and put a lot of effort into building their worlds out and and having thought through all these different channels and stuff but he also had that in common with a uh, another author whose uh, work ended up crossing paths with his that being HP Lovecraft yeah and this uh, this love of mythology, I feel like, directly carries over into what began life as, I believe, a a module or a planned adventure for RuneQuest, uh, which which ultimately became Call of Cthulhu in 1981. Yeah, so RuneQuest is sort of a, a complicated system. Uh, let me take that back. I think <laughs> I, I think of complicated as a bad thing. Um, Whereas I think complexity is is an interesting thing. So I would say that RuneQuest is a complex complex system. Uh, and what they did, what Chaosium did, was was they took this complex system and then they 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 paired it back and created basic role playing. Uh, so like whereas RuneQuest has all these hit locations, uh, you know, it's often joked that you can't, you know, it's not a good session of RuneQuest unless somebody loses a limb. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it has, you know, and and hit locations just, you know, that's that's one way that you could just look at a system at a glance. And if it has hit locations, you're like, okay, this is a particular type of game and it's going to be more complex in 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 terms of how it resolves combat. Mm 
Um, so basic role playing just takes the core system and and gets rid of all the complexity. And and so you know the hit locations just out. You know don't worry about it. You know, and then from that they start building different systems using BRP as their kind of their house system. Uh, so everything that Chaosium does is rooted in this is is a BRP game uh, with the exception of the Prince Valiant thing, uh, which is sort of like a, 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 a we might get there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Call of Cthulhu, Pendragon, uh, Stormbringer, ElfQuest, uh, Ringworld, uh, they, they did a series of three games called Magic World, uh, Future World, and Super World. Uh, all of those, all of this is all rooted in the basic role-playing system. Uh, so basically, the nice thing about that is, is if you're experienced in, in one, you could kind of pick any other one up. And it's it's the underlying system is the same. All you have to kind of learn is the the modifications that were made uh, to to make the the system special. So like the magic system in Call of Cthulhu is extremely different from the magic system in RuneQuest, mm-hmm. which is also extremely different from the one that's in Stormbringer. Uh, and then yeah, so like you you get you get Call of Cthulhu comes right out of RuneQuest in this way, uh, and as I said earlier, Call of Cthulhu is a much more uh minimal game uh you, you know the, the skill system is is straightforward it's set in the 1920s which while not our world uh is close enough to our world that we can kind of easily inhabit it without a lot of like you know we don't have to worry about like what is armor like or you know what is magic like like it, it's just it's right there it's the real world they had cars and phones mm-hmm. uh and it, it becomes it really is the uh, the first horror role playing game, um, and it be it it honestly doesn't have a whole lot of competition even today in terms of being the best horror role playing game. Uh, even though it is wrapped up with the the works of H.P. Lovecraft, it 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 like they had two books out. So, you know, H.P. Lovecraft is a specific type of cosmic horror, right? Yeah. Cthulhu mythos and all of that. And, you know, you have a sanity mechanic, which is a little weird. Um, I, I it, Like, they fixed it in 7th edition but to a degree, but it, it touches upon some portrayal of uh, mental health that I don't find particularly good. Um, but I understand why it's there because it kind of captures sort of a, uh, a psychological stress that's present in... Uh, philosophically on a philosophical level in Cthulhu mythos stories. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. You, you were talking about magic systems and how uh, call of Cthulhu is different because, you know, we, we kind of know the world that it, that it's in. They have cars and phones. Uh, talked a little bit about mental health and uh, Lovecraft and I, were you getting into kind of the the sanity mechanics around around uh, Call of Cthulhu, the the role playing game? Was that where you were headed with that? I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going on a tear, and then like I had to like use a specific word. I had to think for it, and then like <laughs> it just disappeared. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that yeah, I think that it's just an easier game to sort of pick up and inhabit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it, it, best horror game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, so it has this sanity mechanic, and 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 like that kind of speaks to you know a Lovecraft cosmic horror kind of the 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 philosophical concerns of that kind of game, but uh, and you can do a lot with that. Obviously, they have a huge line of fantastic books that run the gamut from very deeply psychological stuff like Tatters of the King to like full on pulp kind of Indiana Jones meets horror in Masks of Nihilathotep and everything in between. Uh, all with the, the Cthulhu mythos as sort of an underlying thing that ties it all together. But uh, what they don't have is much conventional horror, like what you would call like the universal horror kind of stuff or like, mm. like stuff that touches on stuff outside of Lovecraft. Um, but in the 90s, they, they put out two books, Blood Brothers 1 and Blood Brothers, ugh, Blood Brothers 2. Uh, and both of those are just scenarios that are just straight horror. And it, it's almost as if like they looked at like a system like Chill and they were like, okay, I, we see that there's a need for this. We're just going to do it and we're going to do it so good that nobody else needs to do it. Like, <laughs> and they, just, they just blow it out of the water. And they show it, it basically they, they, those two books show you how you could use Call of Cthulhu rules to run conventional horror, or, or let's not say conventional, let's say non-cosmic Lovecraftian call, you know, Cthulhu mythos horror, um, and and do it well, and and like that was sort of like the last word, like, and I don't think that anything's really come close to being like an effective uh, horror role-playing game in sort of the conventional sense of role-playing games. I think there's story games that do it better. Um, but I also think that they're necessarily limited. Uh, like, you, I mean, it is kind of hard sometimes to do a Call of Cthulhu campaign. Um, but like a game like Ten Candles, like it's impossible mechanically to do a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ten Candles does does like really makes ratchets up the the horror of it. Like like it, you know, like I, Call of Cthulhu is still a role playing game. Most of my sessions are you know you gather around the table and there's lots of joking and fun and, and laughter, which seems weird for a horror game. And like you, you I usually get like one good minute, one good moment of like, Oh God, that, Oh, this is scary. And then like everybody tenses up and then like, it's usually towards the end of the scenario uh, to the end of the session and we kind of move on and then that's it. Um, and it, it, it like, I feel like that laughter around the table is something that, that uh, comes with, uh, uh, what do you call them? Like just re- sort of general role playing games. Mm-hmm. I think once you get into the indie space, like like you're 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 more inclined to sort of uh, be seriously uh, investigating sort of like the emotional responses of games, and and you might not necessarily be as like obviously entertaining. Uh, and Call of Cthulhu is 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 definitely you could push it that way, but you could also have like something akin to a Dungeons and Dragons experience with it. Um, mm-hmm. But and on, on that level, I, I, that sort of game, I don't think anybody else has done a horror game as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you would, you, you know, your obvious choices are like Ravenloft for Dungeons and Dragons, yep. which is a, a terrible horror game. <laughs> and uh, it just is. It, yeah. Like Dungeons, yeah, absolutely. It, it just, <laughs> D&D is it. not for horror. No, it, it just it doesn't work. D and D works. What it does well is dungeon crawls and, and and like making stories up about dungeon crawls that facilitate dungeon crawls. Mm-hmm. Everything else that it does, like you're kidding yourself if it thinks it does. You think it it works well. Yeah. Um, and then 
uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like th- that's great. You could push that a long way. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Vampire the Masquerade is probably the other big horror game. But like I, I just never bought it as a horror game, despite because like you're playing the monster. Like that's yeah. not a horror game. That's that's a superhero game. Yeah, and, it's it's very much a, it's superheroes for goth kids. Yeah, exactly. And 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 again, I appreciate that. That has its mm-hmm. place. I listen to Sisters of Mercy a lot, um, but it, it, it's just not. It doesn't hit uh, the heart. And and because that's like like when you're identifying with the monster, that's not. You're getting at something else, an alienation. Uh, it, 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 it's just not. It's not like horror is helplessness. Um, but I, and, and chill, chill never really kind of figured itself out. So like, like those are the three main horror games and, you know, it, it, it's just like the same thing that, that happened with Pendragon, which is Greg, Greg Stafford's great work. Um, like it's the best for my money. Uh, it's, it's the best role playing game. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, the one that, that proves that it's it's an art form uh it is a perfect balance of playability mechanical uh narrative kind of synthesis uh i mean you know with a limited kind of you know perspective like you 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 really need to love king arthur and and you know the the that sort of thing you know the medieval romances uh but you know if you want to adapt uh, medieval romances to a role-playing game like Pendragon does it perfectly and and it does it with uh kind of like care to the subject matter it, it's just a perfect kind of integration of everything around it and it does it so well that no one's ever really tried to make another king arthur role-playing game mm-hmm. yeah you know until just recently <laughs> yeah it, like, like and and I, I know nothing about that game and I, I probably am not going to know anything about that game because mm-hmm. Pendragon exists and yeah. like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do that. It's an 80 year campaign. So that's like, I don't know, like 160 sessions. Like if you want to go into it, like that's the way to do it. You know, three mm-hmm. generations of characters, families, like, you know, living and dying in Arthur's service. Like it, 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 it's a massive thing and it, and and it was a massive thing that was done so good and they he just spiked the the football so hard that the football exploded and there's yeah. no reason to continue the game you know absolutely and that's and that's sort of what 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 chaosium does mm-hmm. <laughs> like like they just do these things and they 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 drill down on them and they do them so well that that it you you begin to wonder why anybody else is bothering doing similar things and mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways people stopped you know yep. it, and it's crazy because most people don't really know about chaos like in the larger you know perspective of the role-playing world it, everybody knows D, but not so much chaosium yep yeah and and two things i want to uh Two things I want to talk about real, real quick, uh, mm. just in relation to uh, Call of Cthulhu before we move on to Pendragon, uh, sure. because there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> um, one, when it comes to Call of Cthulhu, uh, I, I I say this one because it, it touches on one of my other passions, that being comic books, and two, 
uh, it goes to show that these were extremely top-notch quality products that were being put out. Uh, but in that first Call of Cthulhu book, the art was done by Gene Day, who oh, yeah. people, you know, people who are deep into Marvel, you'll know him as kind of the definitive Shang-Chi artist. Um, but yeah, that that was the kind of work that was being put out, and it was done, you know, a year before he he died all too soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, the the kind of quality they were putting out. And then there's been some discussion in chat here. Uh, one thing I want to address real quickly, Derek, uh, Stu and Hambone actually did an episode on the Green Knight RPG a couple weeks ago, actually over a month ago. Yeah, time um, doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Green Knight. Uh, it's it's kind of sort of a promotional product with the film of the same name, uh, which is cool but odd at the same time. It is definitely a strange choice. Mm-hmm. I, I applaud that choice but because I like a weird world, but it's definitely an, an unusual choice. But then the other discussion that's been going on is kind of like the atmosphere of horror at the table. There's one game that I feel like kind of does build atmosphere at the table. That's and I haven't played it. I've just heard about it. That's Dread with the Jenga Tower. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I just I would put Dread in in a ten candles kind of category yeah. where it's just, you can't. It's hard to build a campaign out of it. It and it, it it it's it's on that indie spectrum where where you're. You're you're gathering around the table to, I mean, this sounds like like I'm I'm taking the piss, but like you're gathering around the table to sort of be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and like, like that's sort of an indie thing. It's it's where you, like I feel like I feel like baseline like the original tradition of of RPGs was 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 about fun. I don't like using that word either, but like hmm. like it. There, there, there's a hang aspect to it, like a hangout aspect to it. Whereas, like, I think that like a design concern for something like Dread or Ten Candles is like those games are built around making you scared and and upset. Like Dread is 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 an incredibly effective, like on a mechanical level, of of making you terrified. Like it it just is. Like you use a Jenga tower to resolve, uh, you know to resolve stuff so like if you if you do something and you break the tower your character dies like that's it (laughs) you know like that's like Mm -hmm. that that just gets under your skin whereas like the way uh call cthulhu games run you know you still have that uh you have the investigation phase which eventually leads to a confrontation but the the investigation phase leads you know is open to a lot of different kind of emotional content um and like a lot of the best horror movies have a little bit of you know comedy relief in the in the first half, uh, and that and that's kind of what happens. You get laughter around the table, and then you kind of, as the the keeper of secrets, at the appropriate moment, you 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 sock them in the jaw, and then they pay attention. Yeah, uh, narratively, not physically, hmm. and and I think that that's sort of like like the thing that I'm trying the the distinction I'm trying to to make between like a Call of Cthulhu style game and and a Dread. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of kind of creating those uh, in chat, they've been calling them table scares uh, that so much of that is external. 
it's it's a lot of factors around the the physical environment that you're in and and what the the physical environment of the game kind of creates based on the mechanics therein. Uh, but yeah, Call of Cthulhu is able to you know kind of give that vibe and and still be a good. A top-notch horror game that you can do campaigns of without having to rely on any kind of external factor because like you've already said with games like that you know with, with some of those indie games once that experience is done next time you go back to it it's not going to be the same you're not going to recreate that same first experience yeah and I mean, I guess at, at, at heart, Call of Cthulhu is really, and maybe this is the, the, the reason for its ongoing success, but it, 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 everything points to it being a horror game, but it's also a mystery game at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that mystery element that, that gives it longevity and, and, and allows for it to have flexibility and not be you know, punishing horror the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, yeah, like like the first half of any given Call of Cthulhu scenario is going to be investigation, uh, and and that that speaks to its its embrace of mystery. Hmm. Uh, I like that though the table scare that that's a good that's a good kind of uh, word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see if we give credit where credit is due. That was Derek. I, I was going to say that, that sounds like Derek. <laughs> <clears throat> So yeah, uh, now we we should move on to the kind of the next big one, uh, 1985's Pendragon, which we've already been talking about. Um, and and one thing to discuss here, in a lot of games, the alignment system that comes from D and D ends up being very kind of silly. And yeah. one thing that that really that that needs to happen in an Arthurian game just because of how focused those stories are on virtues and honor and and all that kind of stuff the the personal traits and passions system that Pendragon gives us i feel like is a brilliant codifying of that in an RPG setting yeah absolutely like honestly like i don't understand why this idea so the way it works is that you have a bunch of uh what do you, what do you call it uh virtues right mm-hmm. and like they're they're binary so it's like lust and ch- chastity and and you know uh you know wrath and uh not wrath what's not wrath chillness um and you know th- these things are on on a binary and and they 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 go up and down dependent upon your actions. This is such a brilliant way to kind of codify your character, not just like as like a bunch of like power stats, like like measurements of strength, but just a, like like it, it it codifies their their personality and to an extent the 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 culmination of the choices of their history. And I don't understand why more people haven't ripped it off. Hmm. Like it, it's such an elegant solution. Uh, specifically, it's an elegant. You could, you could, you could put anything into these binaries, you know. But for Pendragon, it's it's interesting because it it that's how it captures the the complexity of medieval romance in a way that is fun and interesting as a role playing game. So you mentioned the Green Knight game. 
which is based on the film. The film, I think, is an interesting choice because I don't think that I think that you have to. I, I haven't seen the movie yet, of course, but I the story is it's based on a poem, uh, a medieval, uh, you know, a, a, a Arthurian romantic poem, hmm. um, and it doesn't make any sense unless you kind of put yourself in the mindset of that period and and, and what the it it, it it's it's. It's dueling systems of honor. You're trying to figure out how to... Gawain is trying to navigate his personal honor as a knight and like, like the laws of hospitality and, and also his, his, uh, the, the, his honor in terms of like the system of chivalry and of courtly love. And all of these things are contrasting and, and uh, conflicting. So like he's he he goes to the green knights or the guy's castle you know i'm not going to get into the whole story but he goes to the guy's castle and he's he's given hospitality and the guy says you can stay with me as long as you want we're going to make a deal though i'm going to i'm going to go out hunting every day and if you give me what you get in the castle i will give you what i get at the hunt and that's what that's like the deal hmm. and the the dude's wife gives gawain a kiss on the first night on the first day while the, so like, okay, you know, he's got to navigate this thing where it's like, okay, <laughs> dude's wife kissed me, but like the, the thing, so he winds up kissing the Lord and he gets like, I don't know, like a pig. Uh, but like, he doesn't have to explain it. So like, he's just like, he's honoring the law of hospitality, but he's not like dishonoring the, the lady. And it's like, all of this doesn't make sense to a modern audience. Like, it, it's just like, this is like a, a problem that, like our culture just doesn't care about this stuff anymore. These systems are antiquated in our everyday lives. Like we don't we don't have a frame of reference for it. Mm. But with the the way and and but all of these things are of huge tantamount like these are matters of life and death for characters in Pendragon. Like like this is this is the stuff that you live and die by. And the the virtues uh the the virtue system like just codifies that in a way that it's it you, you understand how you can have these dueling uh passions hmm. and and how 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 they could serve you and how how they could betray you and, it, and it's just it's so good like i just don't un- and there there's going to be a new edition i thought that the last edition was a beautiful polishing and and i thought that it was it had an air of the final about it, but it like there's a new one coming out, and and it I just I can't wait. It I it makes I can't even the words they won't work. Like I'm so excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Absolutely>. <laughs> finally run, gonna finally run the great Pendragon campaign for some people who are really dedicated and want to <laughs> be knights for the next three years. It's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know what? I I think I'll jump on the Pendragon train with that new edition. So it looks like that's coming out. I I don't know if that's coming out this year or maybe maybe early next year, but I'll I'll definitely give that one a look when when it comes out. I mean, it, 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 I'm sure that this is going to be the last one because I don't think that you know Stafford did have a hand in this one. Uh, I don't think that anybody's going to want to mess around with it without his input because it, it very much is his game uh, and and it it feels like it and and it's just it, it's his it's it's really his masterpiece uh, and 
I, I just don't think that it'll. I think that this one will be the last Pendragon, mm-hmm. and that's fine because he he finished the great campaign and like everything. You could you could add supplemental material, but but essentially it's a finished game, and I think that that's uh, also an appealing thing, even if even if it is uh, a massive massive time investment if you want to do the whole thing because uh, every session is basically supposed to be a game unless there's a really long adventure in it so you're look or, or is is a year so it's like you know the the whole campaign is something like 80 years so that's baseline 80 ses- 80 sessions which is crazy mm-hmm. i did masks of nilathotep in 36 sessions and that <laughs> so money <laughs> like, i don't <laughs> understand we didn't even do australia like it was we we're just so done with it but uh but that's the nice thing about the 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 way the characters system is is you could kind of put down your characters and play something else for a couple months and come back to it and you could look at those virtues and it's telling you how your character acted which i think <laughs> it, it's it's like a save state for and, and like it helps you just kind of get right back into the, into that character's head again mm-hmm. now off on a completely different tangent, one thing that I, I think we need to discuss just a little bit because, you know, the, the time period that we're talking about right now, we're looking at the early to mid 80s when Chaosium mm. is putting out all of these games. And so, you know, they're, they're putting it out alongside kind of D&D's first boom period. Yeah. However, at that same time, you also have a thing which is honestly talked about to death the satanic panic. Now, my question, Stu, is when it comes to a company like Chaosium, which is putting out a game like Call of Cthulhu, where there's lots of human sacrifice and (laughs) summoning of otherworldly beings and going insane and, and gouging your own eyes out from the horrors that you've seen, did Chaosium incur any of that kind of ill will that was largely directed at Dungeons and Dragons or were they below the radar enough that they just kind of pushed through it at that point everybody was below the radar it, it, like D&D is the only one that got it in the neck for that really mm-hmm. um, a couple people like you know fired accusations at like other games um but by and large, like there's just something about D and D that just demands attention, uh, for better or for worse, uh, and in that case, for worse. The the the, the accusations against other systems and, and companies just never gain traction. Um, I think Stormbringer might have had like gotten in a little bit of trouble, or was mentioned a couple times because that systems magic is literally about summoning and binding demons um, which you would think in 1981 if you're upset about the supposed you know diabolical influence of role-playing games that sure sounds like one <laughs> you know but uh you know but stormbringer didn't capture the 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 public's imagination the way dungeons and dragons did um so no, I don't think I don't believe that 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 Chaosium ever did really get take a hit. I and I think that if it did, it would have been something like Stormbringer that got it. Uh, I, I think Call of Cthulhu is uh, like 
it 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 gets an exemption because it's so obviously like pulp horror. Mm. Um, you know, you're not dealing with uh, like they're they're not reckon you're, the the outer forces that you're up against aren't recognizable as demons and God. You know, like like it it it's removed from uh you know religious concerns. Mm. Yeah, if your if your mom picks up your uh, your copy of Call of Cthulhu or your your HP Lovecraft collection, she's not going to recognize anything in like Cthulhu Fatang. She's just going to go, "Well, that's nonsense," and then yeah, set it yeah. aside. Yeah, and and by and large, I feel like Chaosium always sort of well, generally took a classy approach to to art. There there was never really you never had the the luridness of. Uh, that D and D got in trouble for. I mean, I mean, like not really lurid. Like just because there's some boobs in the monster manual doesn't mean like you know we're worshiping Satan. But uh, you know, I, I can't really think of any any just even you know nudity, like random nudity. Maybe a little bit in the early RuneQuest books, but certainly not in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, hmm. There was actually uh, an artist left uh, in the '90s because of uh, a, uh, a piece was. Uh, cropped in uh, Stars Are Right, a modern game. Uh, it was Blair Blair Rep. Uh, anyway, he, he he was really upset about that. Uh, but it, that that's sort of an example of like Chaosium sort of like towing a line of tastefulness. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Once the 80s passes, you know, the 80s were great for Chaosium as they were for a lot of role-playing companies, but then we get to the 90s, and it seems like every single RPG company struggled through the 90s, with the exception of White Wolf, who took off in the 90s, but right around 1996, 97, 98... This is where things kind of start to fall apart for Chaosium. Coincidentally, also when things start to fall apart for uh, TSR. Yeah. And and when, when that ship kind of starts to sink. And and this is a trend. I, I discussed this with David Walt before. I've been thinking about this a lot. Again, this is my comic book fan brain uh, coming out a lot. There, there's a parallel between what happens in the comic book industry and what happens in the the role-playing game industry at this time where companies just seem to completely, without any thought of what they might be doing to their market, just putting everything out, completely saturating the market. Was Chaosium doing this as well, the same way that, that TSR was doing with their Forgotten Realms books, video games... All of these different splat books for uh, for second edition w- was this kind of practice going on at Chaosium at the same time, or w- was it just kind of them going down with the RPG ship because everyone was? Yeah, I mean, so the 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 comparison to comics is an apt one. The RPGs is it's a small industry, just like comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, e- like even though like you know it generates millions and millions of dollars, both of them um, they're essentially small um so that means that like the market forces that 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 will kind of ricochet through the industry get amplified so like in the early 80s like that was actually a time of contraction in the in the the 
role playing industry. Mm-hmm. So like while Chaosium did pretty good then, um, a lot of other uh, companies were, were were being really crunched and 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 forced out of the market. Um, and Chaosium had a little bit of this. That the reason that they uh, went went and uh, I think in eighty three or eighty four they they teamed up with Avalon Hill and licensed out RuneQuest to them. Uh, it was it was a uh, a way to to stay uh, more liquid and agile in the market, um, and it it uh, it gave them bigger uh, distribution uh, and higher uh, print quality. Uh, Avalon Hill had its own uh, printing presses, uh, which were really high quality. Uh, so that like by doing that, they they kind of they weathered the the storm that that squeezed out a lot of other people, but then it, this would also contribute to problems down the line when that partnership soured that partnership sours right at the same time as the collectible card fad is going off in the late 90s right mm-hmm. uh and that's the thing that 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 created the second big bust was everybody was chasing that it, but but it's a small industry like they had to chase it everybody had to chase it because like magic the gathering was making so much money and it was just just siphoning off money from the rest of the industry like there's not a lot of money to go around because it's a small industry so everybody gets in on the ship and then oversaturates and nobody cares about collectible cards games and then all of that everybody who invested over invested in that like gets caught holding the bag uh, and that's what happened with the mythos game uh with chaosium and this it, it it it's the same thing. Like the Lord of the Rings collectible card game killed ice. Uh, you know, like it's just over and over. It all it, the the dragon dice or whatever you know contributed significantly to TSR's downfall. And uh, I guess what Spellfire too. They had the that card game. Uh, dragon dice did more damage because that was carried in stores. Nobody bought it, and then the bookstores sent it back, and they wanted their money back, and TSR didn't have it. Um, but. <sighs> The thing that kind of saves Chaosium is the fact that that they weren't operating on that level of TSR. TSR really wanted to be in the book business, uh, the book trade. And to get into book stores, you have to kind of extend this credit. Knowing You, you, you basically – they buy a whole bunch of pro- product. Uh, you get the money. But if they, they have the option to return it to you and if you get it returned, you, you, you're left holding the bag. You've got to pay them back. Yep. Um, the Chaosium never had that kind of distribution. So when 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 Mythos kind of collapses Chaosium, like they were in bad shape, but like it wasn't, you know, they, they weathered it. Um, at that point, I think Greg Stafford and Sandy Peterson, who Peterson is the the designer, call it Cthulhu. They they leave. Uh, Glorantha kind of goes with Greg. Uh, and it, it becomes like like he starts a like another company called Isseries, which I think sort of becomes Moon Design, and then all of these things uh, kind of come back like uh, to yeah Pendragon gets like they use Pendragon to pay a debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, yep. Uh, how? Yeah, and it it um, ends up in White Wolf's hands, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I don't think directly. I think that it goes to uh, the, I think the debt was somebody else, but then Stuart Wick over at White Wolf. Uh, when he leaves White Wolf, he he takes. Well, yeah, I guess it was at White Wolf for a little bit. And he and when Wick leaves, he he leaves and and takes it and founds Nocturnal Designs, 
and and keeps Pendragon alive, and then eventually, you know, gets Greg back involved, mm-hmm. uh, and then they both die, <laughs> like within two years of each other, and it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and then it, it all sort of comes back together. There was also, you know, like uh, the the Kickstarter was a problem, uh, and it was another thing that that sort of functioned like the 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 collectible card games thing. It was like everybody started, you know, dumping into Kickstarter and doing these ridiculous Kickstarters with like a billion like tchotchkes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chaosium got in over their head with the seventh edition of that and the Horror on the Orient Express redo. Um, like the Horror on the Orient Express thing was ridiculous. Like there was mugs and like, like <laughs> the, the, it was, came to you in a steamer trunk. Like what? <laughs> Just make a game that's good. Yeah. Like, like, give me color printing. Like, mm-hmm. like that's a it's a beautiful box set, but the the books are black and white. Mm-hmm. Come on, um, and a similar thing happens. Like, like they, they were sort of they were struggling without you know uh, after Lynn Willis dies in in like two thousand eight two thousand nine something like that. Um, like they're really just kind of like adrift. Uh, but they get into the Kickstarter. It's like getting into the crack. And like they just overpromise, uh, it takes forever for the seventh edition stuff to come out, and it really, it really tested the company. And they had to bring, uh, they got you know Greg back in, uh, James Louder comes in, uh, I think Michael O'Brien comes in uh, as well, uh, and, and they kind of fix the company and it bring it back to to its health. But it it was another thing, like like there's all these little traps in the role playing industry, and it mm-hmm. seems like 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 when when you think that like. Like, oh, well, that's the way the industry is going and that's how we have to adapt. Like, it seems like like those things, those those potentials have deadly teeth that that just destroy companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chaosium has been extremely lucky in 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 avoiding that there. There are not very many companies that are still around from the 70s, mm-hmm. like full stop, like even TSR is gone. Yeah. Yeah, one of these days I am going to get someone on here to do a full episode on all of the, like, speculator booms of the RPG world, from publishing to splat books to D20 to Kickstarter, all the way all the way through it. Well, and it's... it's Yeah, go on. Just, I, I feel like that there's... There's a lot of interesting discussion there, and collectible card games is another one to, to add on to that pile. Yeah, it's it's just it like it's just such a it's it's a paradox. Like mm-hmm. you need to print more books to to make more money, but the more books you make, it make the more books that you put out, the harder it is for people to grok your system. Yeah. So like like it's like to to survive as a business, you have to kind of self-destruct your 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 system, your game. It it's it it's weird. I don't think anybody's figured it out. I think that like I think we're cruising to to another bust soon it, i I, can't, I i always feel like that you know that guy mm. with the the it's <laughs> the end is die side like, no i mean i i feel it in the air i i honestly do um th- there's so there's such a celebrity culture around modern gaming right now and it's 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 getting to kind of the point that youtube has gotten to where it's all it's a bunch of famous people yeah. And now it it's it's almost becoming and I know most of these people 
In fact, I'd say 95% of them mean well, and they just are super into what they're into. But it's become this thing where it's like, you can only play RPGs if you're playing it like these people play it. And I do feel like that's that's in the air. This uh, streamer, let's watch this game kind of thing is going to come to a halt at some point. So yeah, I, I'm... I'm kind of in that same boat with you, Stu. I, I definitely feel there's something, there, there's some kind of crash coming. I kind of worry that it's going to come from the indie side. I, th- I I thought for a long time that the fatification of D&D was going to be the death of it. And I, I, that might still happen. But I also, I, I see strain in, in stuff like the, uh, the endless sort of, cycle of rules hacks mm-hmm. uh and, ret- and and clones that that are coming out of the indian osr space i don't know how that that rips apart the industry or like causes another bust but like they're just th- and so many of those books are awesome and interesting and beautiful but there's just too many of them mm-hmm. and and there's a point where like like the, the industry just can't sustain that many core rule books yeah uh that are all sort of kind of the same mm-hmm. um and I, I, I don't know. I, 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 both both sides of that seem to favor Chaosium surviving because they're yeah. not really in either of them. They are getting a little bit into the the, the live plays, but uh, in a much more uh, like they they have they have you know other people doing it. It's not like a uh, part of the company. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like they're investing in it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from from the indie side, like you were talking about, what the the thing that I see happening, it, it's definitely going to end up being a bust. But I think it's going to be like a not a bang, but a whimper almost. In that you've got all these different things, all these different rules, hacks, and stuff coming out, and you're you're almost going to end up like with what music is now, where everything's so segmented and fragmented that, yeah, you've got your you've got your two to three hundred people who are into this thing and your, your 50 people who are into this thing, but no one's really going to kind of be like building up a lot of notoriety and, and you know, profit doing anything in that particular sphere because of how segmented it will become. Yeah. And I mean, you, you could see, you could see the, the, the instability in both comics and role-playing games, uh, back in March and April, right? Like yeah. as, as stuff started to, to, to shut down, as printing became something that couldn't happen and distros shut down, like the entire, like everybody was just like, well, this is it. Like, <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. like, there's going to be two companies left. It's going to be Wizards because they're owned by Hasbro, and like Chaosium may, might be okay. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like everybody's like, oh, uh, you know, Free Liga is gonna uh, gonna be okay because like they got all those licenses. Like, the, 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 they'll weather it, but like everybody else is going to be gone. And it's just like what? And like that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that 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 you're looking at like. I mean, first of all, like like we don't know how bad the damage is, and 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 you know. If anything was mortally wounded uh, in in earlier this year, you know, and, and just sort of lingering on, uh, so you know the the repercussions might still be coming. But even if, if if everybody did make it out okay, and it was a false alarm, like it was so close, <laughs> it was like an asteroid passing by. And but there's no there's also no easy way to kind of firm up the industry. Like there's just not enough people who 
who love role playing games, you know, enough to kind of be in the industry like the the way that like I mean, people like us are, are weird, right? Yeah. Like we, sp- I spend a huge amount of money on role play games, like, mm-hmm. like, and there are a lot of people like me, but there's not a lot of people like me in, in the aggregate, you yeah. know. <laughs> and uh, like, I don't know how you create more people like me, but yeah, and, and I mean, like the the simple answer is you don't, you can't. Yeah. The, every every now and then there will be someone who comes along, you know, someone like me who's in their 20s who gets into it and ends up you know doing something like that but again i there's not a lot of me either there yeah. a lot of people my age who are into role playing games will at some point not be into role playing games anymore yeah and it it gets harder as you get older and i mean there's always going to be people coming into the hobby like 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 there <laughs> there is a there is a there's an audience uh, but like i i don't want it to I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that like nobody's gonna like like it's dying like nobody's everybody's gonna give up role playing games. It's the <laughs> people who are playing and, and love this stuff are gonna continue to do it. Oh, yeah. uh, but from like a business perspective, like there's just all of these these cracks, and they've always been there. There's oh like the fact that it's lasted and has flourished the way it has for since 1974 is 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 beautiful and wonderful and extremely lucky. Like, like I said, TSR went out of business. Like we're, we're, you know, 20 years past that. And that, that doesn't seem, you know, like a big deal. But at the time that was an apocalypse, you know, like how could they started this and now they're gone. How did that happen? Like the the fact that, you know, it it didn't all, you know, fall into a black hole in in the late nineties is just, it boggles my mind. I'm thankful that it didn't, but you know, like the those fault lines are, have always been there, and they will always be there because there's just a limited amount of people who are into this sort of thing, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. isn't a value judgment. Yep. And to kind of return to Chaosium specifically here, uh, you know, we we've mentioned the the fracturing and reforming of Chaosium. Uh, f- and that fracturing lasted from 1998 until like 2015. So it, it was quite a while that they yeah. were in, in the wilderness. Yeah. It, like they still were producing decent stuff. Um, you know, uh, Tatters of the King came out in, in that period. And that's one of the finest campaigns that they ever produced for Cold Cthulhu. Um, but yeah, in, in general, like, like it was it was really touch and go. Um, hmm. and, and a lot of their stuff from that period isn't that great it's like okay it's serviceable it's better than a lot of other stuff that other folks put out but in terms of like that chaosium that expectation that that you know i talked about when i when i started with masks of nihilathotep and it raised the bar like you know up to you know where the planes are flying like that level of quality like they just it, it just isn't there in that period hmm. um but it's there again now they're doing such a good job now. It's so mm. exciting to be a Chaosium fan. Absolutely. <laughs> in 2020. It's like the only thing to be excited about in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and and now uh you know the the Call of Cthulhu woes are somewhat behind them. Uh the the new edition came out in 2016. Yep. Um won a bunch of awards at the 2017 Annies and in 2019 uh, Chaosium acquired Seventh Sea, and they're now putting that out. Yep, and uh, they have uh, 
seventh edition of RuneQuest is out. Uh, they're working on a new Pendragon. Like the whole the whole gang is back together again uh, in terms of the games. Uh, they have some really brilliant people working on uh, everything. The, everybody, there's just they 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 find people who are just really good at what they at 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 their lines at managing and getting to like like what makes them good. The seventh edition it has its flaws of Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. but overall it just it gets it right in a way that is easy for people to pick up. My current group. Uh, we play online since the pandemic started and like most of them, I would say half of them are, are role players. Half of them aren't. Uh, and they've generally just picked it up without having to read the book. It's just like, it's, it's percentiles. Like, like there's a, there's that, that, that's that barrier of entry I was talking about. But this, this edition does a really good job of, of, of addressing sort of, like I said about the like issues with sanity. It, it has a, a, a different approach um that kind of does not vilify mental health issues um they they've really leaned into kind of confronting uh the racism sexism homophobia etc cetera, etc cetera, of hp lovecraft and, and creators from that period uh and and you know really like could it used to be that that in a call of cthulhu game you know every once in a while you'd get a scenario that that would kind of like mentioned that Lovecraft was racist and most of them would just kind of downplay it, minimize it or accidentally be racist in, the, in on, you know, on accident. Um, now I think broadly the line is arranged to confront that as much as possible. Uh, and, and r- just make it not racist, <laughs> like, which <laughs> like, it's a problem. It, it it just is there, and it, it it rears its head in weird and strange places. And sometimes they don't they don't quite get it out. Like uh, there's one scenario in uh, Doors to Doorways to Darkness, uh, which is like their beginner uh, set of scenarios. Uh, it has Serpent Men, and it has uh, there, there's sort of a the there's escaped slaves that 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 the Serpent Men captured, and like they turn into degenerate like you know, Neanderthal types living under the ground. And I'm just like, what? No, no, we're not running that. Like, no. <laughs> and like, it, it plays to certain themes that, that were in pulp. It, like, like the, the idea of like, like the cave dwelling savage, but like, it's just like, no, but that's also really racist. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can't do that. And like, like and, and yeah, I mean, your mileage may vary, but like, it, it, it's just, even with them trying really hard, the stuff slips through and it, it's just it, because this stuff, that sort of thing is just it, you know, white folks don't think about it and don't realize it. Uh, that's why things like uh, Harlem Unbound uh, by Chris Spivey is just like such an important step. Like it, the black created Call of Cthulhu system uh, set in Harlem during the 1920s that it is explicitly tackling racism uh, and has a brilliant chapter on you know, race and role playing and how to identify stuff and how to play black characters. And like, it's just, it's just like, this is like sea change stuff. Uh, it's super important and, and really well done. And, uh, I'm excited and happy that, that Chaosium is, is just being so forthright about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, 
that brings us to the conclusion of kind of the the history of chaosium uh for the time being they're they're still going and if history is to be believed they'll probably outlive all of us yeah <laughs> i hope so absolutely I, I, I think they have a pretty good shot at it mm-hmm. i mean they're one of the oldest companies out there yeah yeah Definitely, and if anything else, they can always uh, they can always rely on the the great old one to to help them <laughs> see through. So, Stu, thank you for uh, for coming on and doing this. This has been fantastic to you know talk about Chaosium and and how they've influenced role playing. Uh, as is customary, I just want to turn over kind of the the last part of this episode to you to promote anything that you've got to promote obviously you know vintage rpg you guys just dropped an episode today on vampire the masquerade uh but go ahead and and anything you want to talk about go for it okay so uh i post every day on vintage rpg on instagram so uh you'll always have uh some new role-playing game product uh to check out on instagram uh every monday hambone and i cut a podcast about a role-playing game on the vintage rpg podcast uh you can see that uh links to that on the instagram or you could go to vintagerpg.com uh and there's links there you could play it right off of there you should subscribe like and all that stuff because that helps us find new listeners uh we also have a patreon at patreon.com slash you guessed it vintage rpg uh and hambone's working on a game uh playtesting it running running playtests with our patrons uh and i'm working on a book about the history of rpgs that we're going to kickstart uh with the help of exalted funeral sometime next year so that's really exciting and there's going to be sneak peeks and stuff for patrons on that and i also run a website called unwinnable uh which you can find at unwinnable.com we have a digital magazine called unwinnable monthly uh which is filled with amazing writers uh, doing what they do best, right? Amazingly, uh, and that's about it. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Stu Horvath, uh, and I don't know. You can find me. It's the internet. Just Google me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Clever, Ain't Slade, and Queer Thulu for following throughout the course. Uh, thank you to Derek and Skull Dixon for uh, you know contributing and and helping us with this discussion and and just kind of giving some additional context and background on on stuff that's going on. Um, I, I love when guests are able to join in the conversation. That's why I like doing the show live. So guys, thank you for uh, participating in that. Uh, just to let you know what's coming up uh, this Saturday on Danishes and Dragons. We are doing part two of Breakfast at Baldur's Gate. Uh, I am once again going to be live streaming my first playthrough of Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. We're still doing that. Uh, It'll be a lot faster this time now that characters are created and we're just playing the game. So it should be a lot more interesting this time around. And next week, uh, the man who designed my logos... Andrew Kolb is coming on to discuss his new uh, 5th edition setting book uh, based in Neverland in the Peter Pan mythos. So we'll be talking a lot about that. I'm excited to actually have a conversation with Andrew 
because he and I have not had an actual out loud conversation. We've only conversed over email because he is a friend of a friend. And <laughs> that is how that's how people know each other in the age of the Internet. Yep. So once again, Stu, thank you for coming on. Everyone check out Vintage RPG Podcast and Vintage RPG on Instagram. And whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.